Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake All Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Uh, whether you're catching the show live or in archive, again, welcome to all of my guests. Uh, well, a um, little quick backdrop on me, and then we'll kind of dive into our show here. Uh, it's a 45-minute uh, show, so I'm not going to be able to take phone calls. I generally don't during um, column read shows. I like to take the time to discuss column in more detail, uh, but I will likely do an astrology update show and usually take calls during those, so look for those if you're looking to call in the show. Uh, again, my name is Jim Ventura. I'm a professional astrologer and navigational consultant. Uh, I have a home office in Phoenix where I work with clients and do sessions also by phone all over the country, well, somewhat the world, I guess, at this point. Um, a lot of sessions now that I'm doing with people are by phone. COVID kind of changed things a little. Uh, but I still have a home office that I operate from for locals in Phoenix. And uh, I'm expertise in astrology, numerology, tarot, runestones, all kinds of different oracles I work with. But uh, mostly kind of like life coaching uh, is really the primary goal when I work with clients. Also teach a whole bunch of classes on different metaphysical subjects. Check out my website at jimventure.com uh, for info about uh, personal sessions, but also dig around a little on the site, and you'll find uh, classes I can do uh, by, uh, by Zoom or FaceTime or by phone. Um, those are pretty inexpensive and really awesome. You can do them solo with a friend. Um, by the way, my website sometimes will say the site is not secure when you're on it. That means nothing. Uh, <laughs> they're just trying to get me to, you know, add extra money on the site so that people can punch information in, which you don't do on my site. It's just an information site. So just so you know that for the record, that's meaningless. Um, anyway, so I'm, a, I'm also a writer and I publish a couple of books, and I do an every other month column called Snake Oil. And that's what our show is today. Uh, we're going to do a, uh, a live column read for the last column that I did a few weeks ago and then talk a bit more about it. It has a lot of astrology stuff to this one. Um, so uh, if you're not already getting my column, email me at VenturaSag, all one word, at Yahoo. Find that info on the site here or at JimVentura.com. Uh, but VenturaSag at Yahoo.com for, uh, to get added to the mailing list so you can get the other, every other one's column. Uh, and get it before I end up doing shows about it in advance. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to read this uh, this month's uh, every get every other month column, and then I'm going to talk a bit about it. Like I said, kind of interesting story behind this, but it kind of taps into a bit of astrological stuff here that we will be getting to. So this particular column is called "But It's Not Fair." For years, I've chatted with a boxer at my gym always greets me with enthusiasm and jokes about me being, quote, his favorite person to talk to. He's a great guy, friendly to everyone, and volunteers boxing coaching for many of the teams at the gym. After a few years of locker room chats, he uncomfortably admitted to having a volatile relationship with his father. He is of Mexican heritage, and he has many siblings, all sisters. Being the only boy, his father was really hard on even cruel at times, often telling him things like he was weak, ugly, and would never amount to anything. Uh, clearly a delightful man here. Um, 
Needless to say, at age 40, he was struggling to forgive his father. Not surprisingly, he got caught up in gang stuff, drugs, alcohol at a young age. Thankfully, he's clean and sober, married and in a much better place, although he struggles with being bipolar. I've talked to him a few times about the benefits of forgiveness for his own health and well-being. He does earnestly listen and seems to appreciate my advice and suggestions. Recently, he approached me while I was doing cardio on an exercise bike. He was frustrated because he was looking for work and had gone to an employment agency two days in a row. His frustrated story was, more or less, quote, I go to this place on the west side and full of thugs and messes in there trying to get jobs. When I talk to the guy who finds jobs, he tells me that he is one for me, actually. But because I was there a few months ago but didn't return the next day like he asked, there was a condition for me to get this available job. I had to come back this morning, meaning the next day, to actually get the job. Geez, I already apologized. Who does this guy think he is? Why did he make me jump through hoops? I really didn't need a job so badly when I punched him in the face right then and there. But I begrudgingly went, and now at least I've started a new job on Monday. I'm still really pissed. I can't believe that jerk. If there's one good thing my dad taught me is to never let anyone disrespect you, right? Well, rather than give him the expected buddy approval, empathy, and validate his suffering by diving into the pool of he had a right to be mad nonsense, I took a different approach. I asked him, would you like a better suggestion? He looked a little nervous and said, yes, of course. I value your opinion, Jim. So the life is not fair at times but one can use this to one's advantage rather than focusing on your perception of being mistreated. Consider a different approach. Show up for the job 15 minutes early on Monday. Make it clear that you will volunteer to stay later if they need you whenever you're actually able to do so for the first few months. Figuratively, kiss your boss's ass a little if need be. Be an excellent, eager-to-learn employee. Think of these acts less as weakness or submission of subservience and more as a strategy. The employment dude had to test you to see if you were reliable. Your apology was a good uh, first step, but not enough. You need to take more action in a positive way and not keep focusing on feeling mistreated. In time, your new job, you may even get a raise or better hours. Liking the job and advancing is not definite by any means, but far more likely if you play it the way I'm suggesting. Focusing with a victim posture that you were disrespected is the problem. Why in the world do you listen to your dad's never accept disrespect advice still? For the most part, your dad's advice and commentary usually sucks, right? He was wide-eyed, amazed, and clearly heard me. I told him that, yes, there are times we should absolutely not put up with any form of abuse and not let anyone disrespect us. In order to make gains in the world of working jobs, some wise submission can be a smart move. There's a pecking order in the world. Whether we like it or not, it still exists. I've had many roommates in my, and friends in my teens and 20s that quit new jobs because they felt disrespected. And a roommate in my mid-20s, they came home after quitting his one-week job because it was slow, and the boss told him to clean and organize the storage closet. He quit right then and there because, in his words, I'm a line cook for a restaurant. How dare he ask me to do that? I told him to shove this job, and I walked out. No one disrespects me. 
It took him two weeks to find a new job, another two weeks to get a paycheck, ended up a month behind the rent that I foolishly covered. But he had his self-respect. What an idiot. What if Cindy organized the storage room suggestion as an opportunity, a chance to show him I was a team player who was mutable in my talents? Needless to say, most of the jobs I had while I was a waiter or bartender in my younger years started off with me thinking about what I could do to look good to the boss or the owner and to be seen as valuable. I played this type of strategy early on in a number of jobs, and after six months to a year working at a restaurant, my fellow employees would often say things like, how come Jim gets off on Sundays? How come Jim can walk around and eat if he wants to and nobody says anything to him? How come he always gets the best stations and the best customers? I actually often had bosses that stuffed extra cash in my pockets from time to time to show appreciation to keep me working there. In astrology, the sixth house of 12 houses and areas of life corresponds to how we handle work, health and healing, fixing and repairing, being productive, the practical details of life, and unequal relationships. Unequal relationships are reality whether we like them or not. Simply put, not everything is equal. Most jobs have a pecking order. I saw examples of this clearly in the restaurant business. As an example, the boss or owner was typically over everyone. The managers took next position. The chef would come next. Hostesses often followed from there. They were the face of the restaurant who wielded the power of seating and greeting. This is why I always strategically would be extra cordial to the hostesses. They had the power to give me better customers. I didn't see it as a power struggle, even when at times it occasionally was. Often the next in line were bartenders, then came waiters. The kitchen staff usually followed, then bus boys, followed by the cleaning crew. Like it or not, restaurants and most other aspects of life are not set up like a commune. You got along with everyone you tended to thrive, not by focusing on the reality of the imbalance, but by accepting it. I never wanted a manager's position, but I was offered them frequently. I preferred the position of coming and going without a ton of added responsibility, a plus to being a waiter in most places. Being reliable, excellent at my job, attractive, affable, and one who did not create problems, even went out of the way to solve them, was typically the way I played it. More often than not, this approach really paid off. Life is full of unequal relationships. Often in retail service jobs, you have to put up with obnoxious customers and difficult bosses. In the medical world, some head nurses and doctors can be difficult or controlling to the nurses and orderlies, but within reason, this is part of the game. Frequently, better-looking people get more opportunities, nepotism exists, and racial inequities absolutely abound. There are unfair challenges to overcome if you were born into poverty and advantages to being born into wealth. Life at times is in your favor, and at times it's just not fair. There is the right of kings. Look at movies and stories about medieval placement and positions in court. Talk about unfair. There are wide ranges of how we choose to deal with any number of positions, like family placements, benefits to being smarter, stronger, stronger, taller, likable, and even lucky. I chose fairly uh, early on to get over this reality and accept some of the BS in life. 
There's simply a far wiser perspective to not resist what is or to learn from inequity. Sometimes one can maneuver oneself to advantage because of it and even climb a ladder. No one should ever accept, accept extreme abuse by any means, and some jobs may just be too much imbalance to deal with. Still, a good portion of what we perceive as abuse or mistreatment may not actually be abuse. Sometimes we are fighting a war projection or judgment that we can't actually win. In many cases, we're unconsciously drawing difficulties to us because it's part of the human tendency to recreate unresolved conflicts that stem from the past and then play them out again and again. A few days later, I saw my buddy at the gym. He was all set to start his new job on Monday, but there was a change in his plans. He put in an application on his own a few weeks before to a Valley Internet and Cable Company. They wanted to hire him for a starting position at $25 an hour versus the $17 an hour job he was just hired for. He wisely and graciously told the other place they would have to turn down the job because he got a better offer. I patted him on the back and congratulated him. He proudly told me, quote, Jude, I'm going to be get there 20 minutes early on Monday. I'm not going to react if I get uncomfortably bossed around as a new guy but some of the people I work with. I will ask if they need me to stay late. I'll be eager and excited about learning. And like you said, Jim, I'll probably be at $30 an hour within a year or so. Now you're getting it, my friends. Okay, so I wrote this column in, in August of this year. So it's uh, actually a new column and a lot of different points I want to cut, touch upon. First, a little quick follow-up to the story. Um, uh, the guy at, at my gym, um, he, I did see him about a week and a half, two weeks later at the start of his job, and he was kind of pissing and moaning a little bit that his boss was, a, in his perception, a coke addict, <laughs> which sounds so 80s to me, by the way. Um, but, you know, I kind of steered him, kept him on course. All right, I know that. Trying not to get so irritated about it. You know, he's like, yeah, no, I'm not. And he's like, you know, I like it. Overall, I'm going to kind of stick with it. And I hope he has. I haven't seen him at the gym in about a month or so since it started. So I'm taking a stab that he still um, has that job. I kind of hope he does. Really good guy. Um, let's give him a lot of credit because he's, like, really friendly with the kids at the gym. You know, he talks to all of them. He's very friendly to everybody, but he's really sweet and talks to the kids and guides them and, I have to be careful sometimes because, like, I'm, I'm in, sometimes I'm in that frame of mind where it's like, get lost, kid, you bother me, <laughs> being an old man. Get away from me. You know what I mean? What are you doing being so close to me? And I remind myself to be friendly, and he's a good reminder of that. So he's a good guy. But uh, bipolar, and I, I can go on about that, too. I, you know, I know so many younger people that are bipolar or they ADD, and I can go – I've probably talked about this in other shows, but – this weird obsession with pharmaceuticals and diagnosis and stuff. I'm not denying it. Some people it's legit, but I got to tell you, to me, it's uh, very bizarre. Um, that whole experience, all another show on that. But the point I got with this, and like I said, I, you know, for me, I'm not overly patting myself on the back. I had a very, very strong-willed German mother heritage, American, but German mother and Italian father that were very clear about work and reliability and not calling in sick. And, like, we weren't given a lot of money as kids, but we weren't given any. Let me put it to you that way, me and my six siblings. Um, we had to work for everything. 
but getting a job meant you really wanted to keep the job, so you had money. So it was kind of a, I don't know, we were very, very much taught that. So it was interesting to me when I was a waiter and bartender, and I, I had multiple jobs in my younger years before I, I began to do the work I do now professionally. Uh, how many people were like one of the guys I mentioned in the story, one of my roommates who like quit on a dime because they asked him to do something he didn't like? I mean, I ran across that constantly, you know, um, and and just being you know behind a month, two months on rent and other bills, and again, much of my own stupidity, I always kind of covered things and, and handled them, and they'd always owe me money, be in the process of paying me back. Talk about unequal relationship stuff, you know. Um, but I saw a lot of that. Um, and I think, you know, uh, with, with this guy at my gym as an example, being part of gangs and stuff like that, I mentioned this a little bit, in the, you know, there was a pecking order in that and certain, you know, conditions around that. But something that I've caught with a lot of younger people and, and some older ones, this thing about being disrespected, to me, is just over the top. Where, again, you know, if someone's groping you at a job or calling you names or you hate this job and being inappropriate, I'm not in any way suggesting you stay with a job like that. Um, I, I had a few jobs along my way that I, I exited fairly quickly because it was just the conditions were horrible. There are really actually very few, by the way. Most of the time I just sort of persevered and see if I can maneuver it until it got too toxic. But uh, this thing about the disrespect is, like I said, you know, uh, I notice this a lot with people, especially a lot of younger people, not all of them. I'll put them in that category. Some very hardworking younger people I've met as well. But the thing about using the disrespect thing um, often is backfiring in a way. Um, and, again, I mentioned I had roommates that quit jobs, like, you know, oh, my God, it's told me to clean the storage closet. I mean, I, I was always one of those workers where it was slow. I usually cleaned or did something, also purely out of boredom. Um, but, you know, it always kind of, you know, make the boss like me a little more. That wasn't always my intention, um, but it was, uh, it was a smart strategy versus the disrespect nonsense. It, it, you know, back about, this must have been, this is 2011, the last time I, I waited tables, um, I had a job where the, the chef, the owner loved me. Most of the staff loved me. I was a waiter um, during the housing crash and recession back then. I had to go back to doing that for about two years. And the chef was absolutely, um, you know, condescending to me and at times a little bit verbally mean. And, you know, the owner loved me. The staff loved me. You know, it was a good job. Uh Chef was a little much to deal with, but I kind of mostly kept my mouth shut for about six to eight months of working there. And I didn't, you know, I just kind of laughed at the chef's stupid comments and stuff. And um, interestingly, um, after being there about six, eight months where I was really loved and kind of the one of the top of the top three waiters there that the owner adored, that the chef finally said something to me one day that was inappropriate in the kitchen. And I, I responded back. <laughs> I won't say what I said because uh, I don't think I have an R rating for my um, show. But uh, I kind of I put him in his place, which I've always been able to do, but resisted that. And, uh, you know, everyone in the kitchen just sort of went hush because they couldn't believe what I said to him, you know. And uh, 
he said to me, you can't speak to me that way. Get out of here. You're fired. And I was like, you don't get to fire me. I walk out of here. The owner is going to kill you. You're not, you're not in charge of firing me or hiring me. So you can kind of kiss my ass, man. You know what I mean? No. And uh, the weird thing is I have to tell you that it almost was like one of those male-to-male push things where we actually developed more of a friendship and correspondence after that because I did stick a stand-up to him. But, again, I would have to say doing that in the first two weeks of the job, no. You know, strategy, boys and girls, you know what I mean? Think about what you're doing before you act. You know, that's why, you know, sometimes I have a lot of respect for a lot of people in the military and things like that because they often get some of this pecking order a bit. You know, it's interesting to see right now if you're currently dealing with things, the Queen of England died and there's such a hoopla about that event and how people are so responsive to it. And again, as I had mentioned the piece, talk about uh, unequal relationships, the right of kings and queens and, you know, people in, in, the, in the court and, you know, and, and the, the pecking order is so blatant there as it is really in a lot of areas of life. So this brings us around to kind of what I wanted to share a little bit with you guys about astrology. You know, one of the many, many great things about understanding astrology is there are 12 houses of life, and each one of those things corresponds to a different area of life. Uh, you know, first house is your personality, your disposition, you know, your rising shine often sets up the way you look physically and, and, and speak and, you know, and how you communicate, how you come across to others. Body, um, second house is money and finances, the way you acquire, acquire security and stability in the house of acquisition. You know, third house is communication, learning, knowledge, um, personal expression, the technical aspects of life, and on and on. But there are three houses, well, four technically, in astrology that relate largely to kind of one-on-one intimate relationships. To a milder extent, the fifth house in astrology corresponds to romance, risk-taking, gambling, play, adrenaline, children, uh, performance. Um, That is, in some ways, a relationship house, taking it from a romantic perspective. When you're flirting with someone, you know, you may flirt, you know, to an entire room. You know, I do that sometimes when I do karaoke. I want to charm as many people as possible with the music and the song, and that's a great example of a fifth house vibration pattern. But even when you tell a joke, a story, and communicate with someone, that is the beginning stages of how you're affecting an audience, how you're affecting people in general. So if you go down the the line of just the romantic part of the fifth house, you know, early childhood and into your teens and and early 20s, we, we play around with flirtation. And what that is, again, it may be a larger grouping, but generally much of that experience takes place kind of one-on-one, making a friend laugh, being charming, you know, um, interacting at at that level. Um, Fifth house is kind of the beginning of of what we find with kind of understanding, you know, relationship vibration patterns. Then the sixth house, as I mentioned in the piece, is work, service, health, uh, repair, fixing, practical details of life. And, of course, unequal relationships. Um, I think this is a less talked about house in a lot of ways in terms of unequal relationships. This is why I wanted to talk about that. And I think for most of us, the, the reality of unequal relationships is experienced most notably in work environments. 
Uh, this is why, you know, as an old man at this point in his 50s, I'm often highly recommending to parents, no matter what you believe to be true or not, it's often good for your kids to have a part-time job when they're, you know, a little older, or even if they're in school or doing something. The exposure to inequality is um, healthy and positive and beneficial and teaches you about the realities of life, inequality, inequality or unequality. I don't know if that's technically a word. I think it is. Um, exists. It's just how it is. So, again, sometimes you can work your way up a ladder. You know, sometimes there's a wisdom in knowing how to take a subordinate position as a point of power, too. You know, uh, like I said, as I mentioned in the piece, I often got pushed to be a team leader, manager, you know, in, in restaurants because of my reliability, my consistency. But I knew that I didn't want that level of responsibility. Even to this day, you know, I, I, I'm self-employed now, obviously, and um, I still have no trouble with the pecking order of things for a million different reasons, but I still don't really like being in charge of people. In that case, I would actually prefer a more subordinate position. Um, I just don't like it. You know, I don't have a lot of cardinality in my, my natal chart. I have some, but not a lot. So I give a lot of credit to people that can handle directing others because uh, I can do it, but I really don't like it. I'm more inclined to want to smash arguing people's heads together, you know. I don't want to hear this nonsense. But, yeah, the sixth house is the house of unequal relationships. Now, seventh house is literally the house of equal relationships, marriage, partnerships, negotiations, agreements, one-on-one -on -one with other people. You know, it's ultimately the house of reflection. You know, um, you know, what we're drawn to in other people is often attributes of ourselves that they may bring to the surface for good or for bad. Uh, you know, the seventh house is, of course, marriage, partnerships, committed relationships. Often, if you look at an astrology chart, the cusp um, of the seventh house, the beginning of the seventh house, the sign there, and also especially planets within that house, if you have them, will be characteristics that you're drawn to in people, almost without question. But it's kind of a weird little give and a take because sometimes what you're drawn to is, again, attributes of yourself in some ways. Uh, I have Venus on the cusp of my seventh house, technically in the sixth house, and that means I'm generally drawn to creative types or um, individuals that are pretty, that are attractive, that have a Venus quality to them in that way. Uh, I also, fortunately or unfortunately, have Neptune in my seventh house. It's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, so the seventh house is equal relationships. And then the eighth house is a lot about power in relationships. It's the house of sex and death and transformation and how you go through the mill when you, are, when you partner with someone. If you marry, if you commit financially, sexually, in other ways, you transform each other, like it or not. Um, that is why it's the house of death, because it doesn't mean you die because you partnered with someone, but you may have to lose attributes of yourself or the power struggles that operate within those relationships. You know, for instance, if you partner with someone and say you even go as far as marrying them, then you get in-laws. Now, this can be nice. This could benefit you. This could be kind of a little bit of a pain in that sense, a difficult mother-in-law, a difficult father-in-law, sister-in-law, you know, even when you partner with someone that you love, sometimes they have a best friend or companion that has control in some ways, too. This is the interesting elements of the eighth house that still correspond to largely the intimate one-on-one -on -one relationships. So 
Reiterating that, there are four primary houses that have to do with this type of dynamic. Now, as you progress through an astrology chart, the 11th house is the house of group associations and friendships. So that has some bearing as well. But again, the 11th house has more to do with friendships specifically um, and you know, groups of friends or individual friends that you interact with with shared goals and shared ideals. Um, whereas, again, these other houses that I mentioned, fifth through eighth, are more about a little bit more toward the one-on-one dance that we ultimately, you know, deal with when we're in relationship with others. So those are relationship houses. Now, just to give you some more astrology information, whether you like it or not, you can almost sort of correlate the houses with the signs. This is kind of something I teach people a lot when I do sessions with people and go through their astrology charts or also specifically when I teach classes on astrology, a good rule of thumb is there's sort of a similarity between signs and houses, just to give you kind of an understanding of that. So in the, in the most you know, basic way, the first house would correspond to Aries, first sign of the zodiac. Second house would correspond to Taurus, second sign of the zodiac, and so on, all the way through all 12 houses and the sign of Pisces would correspond to the 12th house. So there are very similar characteristics. Um, I have a Sagittarius sun sign, so obviously that gives certain Sagittarian characteristics to my life path and my goal. But, um, you know, I've got Mercury on the cusp of my eighth house and in the um, uh, partly also in my ninth house. So that means thinking, communication, uh, connected with, um, you know, with, uh, philosophy, travel, publishing, uh, humor, um, giving insight and, and helping other people that way. So that's ultimately what um, some of those placements kind of correspond to. So let me give you again, an example of this. If you're not a Leo, but you have three or four planets in the fifth house, which would correspond mathematically to Leo energy, it is going to uh, – give you a disposition of a Leo flavor. Not as much as directly as a Leo, but it would show some of that vibrational energy there. So it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. So same thing with the sixth house, because that's what we're talking about. Uh, a couple of people jumping in the chat room. Yeah, I, I'm almost finishing the show in about 10 minutes. I'm not going to be able to take live calls. Um, I generally don't take live calls for column shows uh, because I'd like to expand on the column after I read it. And, you know, people typically want personal questions asked, and that's not something the show's about. Uh, future shows where I do astrology update shows are when I take phone calls. So just uh, be aware of that. Um, okay, so back to what I was talking about here. So, again, if you look at the vibration pattern behind the sixth house, that would correspond mathematically to Virgo. Um, you know, Virgo energy has a lot to do with similar to the vibrations of the sixth house, work, service, health, fixing, repairing. You can see similar dynamics. Uh, I've got a bit of Virgo in my natal chart anyway, but I have Venus and the moon in, in my um, sixth house. So it was easy to write about sixth house matters for me, primarily because you know, it's an area that I understand. I understand this inequality of pecking order. And I have to tell you, like, I mean, and, and because I think there's so much Virgo and sixth house in my astrology chart, 
interesting to me to encounter people that are get really angry about unequal relationships because I have to tell you, I don't care. <laughs> I think I weirdly accepted that at a young age. Um, my take was always like when I was in a subordinate position or it was unfair, I would either kind of accept that and see a benefit to being more in the background or not having as much power in that situation, or I would take it from the other angle of how can I observe the situation and maneuver myself to a higher level. Um, you know, I've used that humorously, you know, even at a, at a young age, I didn't feel like I was good looking or attractive enough. So rather than, you know, take a lifetime of being pissed off that I, you know, I didn't feel I was pretty enough, so to speak, my take was, okay, let me go to a gym, let me work out, let me dress better, let me, um, you know, polish the way that I look um, versus complaining about the unfairness of it. And uh, that attack worked. Um, you know, I, uh, I pulled off a massive transformation between my early 20s to my early 30s. Anyone that knows me knows this as well as, um, you know, even when I show photographs of people when I was like 23 versus like 32, they're like, oh, my God, what, how did you pull that off? Like, you got really pretty, man. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I, I didn't buck up against the reality of that situation. I, I kind of worked with it in a way to see what I can do with it. So it kind of tacks us back to something I always like to point out to my clients over and over again when I talk to them. You know, one of my favorite metaphysical lines that I use repeatedly and I have to remind myself of from time to time when I do find myself frustrated or angry or, or feeling a little, you know, uncomfortable about a situation is, you know, the magic metaphysical line is your resistance to what is causes all of your suffering. And that's just a couple of simple words, but it's very, very fitting. Um, what is, is, is what is in certain circumstances or situations. Um, you know, I mentioned this in a few of the shows. I had a, you know, a somewhat hard time with COVID, um, not getting ill from it or anything else for that matter. Um, I just felt it went too long. I felt there were a lot of problems that stem from society because of us becoming obsessed with it, even though I'm not minimalizing how many people went through difficulty or struggle or suffering. But, um, you know, I found a way rather than to keep rallying against the conditions of, you know, um, not being able to go out in the world and missing out on social exchange and things like that, I found a way around a lot of that. And I also kind of found that there was some benefits to that, that as well. Um, you know, one of them is I joke, I mean, I still do in-office sessions with my clients here, but um, now since COVID, probably about 65 to 70% of my clientele, and I usually do anywhere between like maybe 8 to 15 appointments a week, um, are by phone or FaceTime or by Zoom. And, um, you know, that's cool. I'm, I'm actually fine with that. I still love having people in my office, but even a lot of locals still do the, do the sessions by phone now. It's a lot easier for people, I think, in some ways to do that. Um, and uh, I don't mind. I, my joke is if I've got four appointments a day and they're all by phone, I don't even have to even straighten up my home because I have a home office. So I guess give me a chance to be lazy <laughs> as well, you know. So 
you know, I, I had to learn those lessons again, too, uh, for, for a lot of different reasons about bucking up against, you know, over two years of this COVID stuff and how much it, it damaged society and restricted. And I found myself at times resisting it and getting angry with people over the theatrics there. Um, but I, I did, I found my way to remembering that thing I'm saying to my clients about your resistance to what is causes all of your suffering. Stop resisting it. Recognize it's here. They'll finish in its own time. What can you do around it that will benefit you? You know, um, and often that approach is definitely the right approach. A case in point with the point of the article that I wrote with my, my boxer friend, um, I, I'm hoping he's doing well in the job. Um, I, I'm guessing there's a good chance that he is. But um, it's just such a perfect example of, of going on and on about inequity and, and what is unfair and what is wrong and that taking too much of the vibrational energy. Uh, like I said, even when I, when I read the piece, going back to that, I mean, man, you can just, there's so many areas where things are just not even, you know, um, it, it's just so many realities to that. I don't know how a person can, you know, I don't understand this concept of, of things being perfect and even. Uh, I, I just simply don't think that they are. I always notice this too. You know, a lot of times I might ask someone if they know what their heritage is. And in this day and age, sometimes people find that to be like a, a little bit of an uncomfortable question. Um, because a lot of times, and certainly in America, even if you could track the, what your heritage is, I mean, that may be four generations back. Again, like I'm half Italian, half German, but that's three generations back. You know, my mom and dad uh, were full on that, but they were born in America, obviously. Even their grand, my, my grandparents moved to America when they were like one, two, or three years old from Italy and from Germany, respectively. Well, the reason I sometimes ask that is because there are characteristics that also come from uh, the cultures that we're from. You know, you can, you know, these, there's these, these sites where you can look up your, your heritage and what your bloodline is and things of the nature. And, I, you know, I think those are interesting. I personally think that the best information about your psychological, mental, emotional, life path pattern makeup is actually astrology by far. But there is some truth to some archetypes that stem from cultures that we're from. So when I ask that question, it's kind of more like a curiosity. I, I once was talking to someone that was from Israel, and I had said that. I said, you know, what are Israeli people noted for? And he looked at me like, what do you mean? And I thought that was interesting that he looked at me like, what do you mean? And then when he started thinking about it, he had a few answers to that. And I was like, yeah, you know, German people, you know, there's no definitive, you know, German type by any means, of course. But, yeah, there's a tendency to be very effective and um, detail-oriented and a little irritated with inefficiency. Uh, you know, um, Italian, you know, there's the big, large Italian – you know, with talking with your hands, which I do a lot, by the way, uh, and, uh, you know, getting sauce on your chest and being very larger than life and, and generous with food and conversation. Um, and, and also, you know, the little bit of the cliche of, you know, if you mess with my sister or my cat, I might have to uh, kick the crap out of you, you know, a little Tony Sopranos vibe there. So 
I, I always just find it interesting that people find that offensive because I don't think that that is stereotypically of anyone. But, yeah, we collect pools of things from where we're from. And, again, those things are not even. I mean, in, even in America, obviously there's a big difference between being born in, um, in New York versus being born in California or the Midwest or, you know, or New England or, you know, or, or North Dakota. You're going to take on different characteristics or perspectives from where you're from, especially if you were there for a long time. I lived in New York for 20, almost 25 years. You know, I've been in, in Phoenix for, uh, for 30 or so now, um, so I'm probably maybe more a bit of a Phoenician at this point, but I still have that, that New York kind of heritage to me in a way. Um, you know, so a lot of times people still catch it with a slight accent. Although when I go back to New York, they're, um, they always kind of accuse me of not having the accent at all and sounded like an Arizonian, whatever that means. <laughs> you don't hear it when you're like in that spot. But again, same thing. There are advantages to being born into wealth. It's going to be a different, you know, situation if you're born in a farm in in Idaho versus being born in Beverly Hills, right? Can the person born in Beverly Hills make a decision to become a farmer, change their life? Um, absolutely. Again, the same thing can also occur. You may, if you're born on a farm, you may find your way toward wealth and want to live in luxury and, and things of that nature, and that could be a decision made. But I can guarantee you're not going to get there if your entire posture is being pissed off about it. You know, when, when we resist things so much, it often becomes hard to become them or that. You know I mean, it's to take that on. You know, uh, again, your resistance to what it is causes all of your suffering. One, you're needlessly suffering over the inequity and the inequality. And two, you're not really playing it right in that sense, where there often can be ways to climb maneuver around things if you take that, that approach that, okay, what do I do with this? Do I accept it in a way and find joy in what I'm doing in a more subservient position? Or do I find a way to climb up and elevate myself um, in the pecking order through through smarts, where a little Virgo energy comes in in a positive way. Knowledge and information and learning, you know, tend to make one smarter. You know, even back in the day when I used to do, like, psychic fairs and things like that, which I almost never do. I mean, I haven't done one of those in about 15 years. Um, you know, sometimes some of the people at the fairs would get irritated with me because I would often get a, a strong following um, of people, you know, waiting for little mini readings when I did that back in the day. And I would say it was for two reasons. One, there's a lot of different oracles I work with that I have expertise in. I'm not a one-trick pony, so people were drawn to those multiple attributes. But also, it was a lot of it was just that I'm pretty good at being charming, Sagittarius sun sign and Libra moon sign. Piece that one together. You know, I could be good with words and <laughs> chatty and likable and, and like I said, uh, uh, still holding on within reason, but especially in my younger days, I was always relatively pretty, so to speak. So there were benefits to that. Um, and again, I, as I always say that even in, in my field, it's hard to be successful as a card reader or a counselor or an intuit or a, a therapist when you're 23. Um, people often are drawn to people that are older. They feel they're more knowledgeable. So you just don't buck up against it. You get older, you get more knowledgeable. Anyway, so this is a little talk about the, the sixth house and understanding unequal relationships. So I wanted to share uh, 
a couple little quick updates here because the show's finished. Again, another reason why I don't take calls. Um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of shows out there where you can get people to do mini readings for you. I just find that um, I know it's appealing to the people that are calling in. Generally, not as appealing to the listeners. And uh, I've even just found it. It just generally doesn't bring me new clientele, honestly. Uh, so uh, I kind of avoid that somewhat. Although I do, like you said, updates, and I, uh, I do like to bring a few in the astrology stuff. Okay, so I'll be back in about another month and a half with another show. Um, I am, uh, if you follow me on my column, uh, talk a little about this. I'm starting a new book. I'm actually about halfway through it, which is actually not a metaphysical book. It's a collection of stories um, and essays about some of the characters I've met in my life. Very fun, kind of more of a comedy humor book although a lot of warm stories in there. So I'm looking to get that finished within probably by the end of this year, early next year, and find a publisher. And uh, more information will be shared about that. Um, in fact, I just did a spot on YouTube where I read one of the stories. My YouTube channel is J Singular Ventura Snake Oil. Go to YouTube, videos there that I do, and you can also track me on Instagram where I do more astrology info at Ventura Words. All right, until next time, uh, happy start to the fall, and uh, everybody um, enjoy the cooler weather if you're living in Arizona like us where it's becoming awesome, which I love. So uh, my favorite season, fall, is here. Hallelujah. All right, until next time, cheers. <laughs>